Hey. Oh, hey. Hi. Missed you. It's been a minute. I haven't released a podcast since Summit because Summit was crazy. And then we had to recover from Summit, not only with our bodies, but in completing all of the work we couldn't do because we were snuggling at Summit, which was amazing. Again, speaking of Summit, a huge shout out and thank you to all of you who came up to say hello and mentioned you listened to the podcast. I think my favorite moment was late night. I was so exhausted and needed my bed. But more than that, I wanted to show up at the big LGBTQ bash to say hey to my buds. I'm so glad I did because I met a bunch of you there. I think my favorite moment was standing around in this little circle with some friends and telling a story too loudly over already loud music and gesticulating wildly, I'm sure, as I do. And a couple of guys popped their heads in and said, hey, are you Angelique Carson? We love your podcast. And we shook hands and they told me they work at Yahoo. And if I could only remember their names now, I'd send them a little thank you note for saying hello. But how many people did we all meet for the first time at that conference? If you weren't there, we missed you. Anyway, if we said hello, I loved every moment. And please find me on LinkedIn or Twitter so you can stay in touch or email me, Angelique at TaraTrue.com. I would love to know as I want to know from all of you, whenever you feel so moved, what you want to hear about, because this only matters if you like the topics. One interaction that was also amazing, but haunts me deeply is when one of my favorite and longtime listeners, Kieran, came over to say hello. Karen, who actually dates my colleague Jocelyn, so obviously has to be a good dude because she's the best, was very complimentary and lovely. And we chatted for a bit before he went downstairs to watch the drag show. I think that's what he was doing. And when he came back up, something in the drag show had reminded him, it seems, that he had some feedback for me, which I love so, so much. Like, truly, I do. I always want to hear, like, ugh, this is not working for you. Like, switch it up. Anyway, Kieran also has an Irish brogue. So it's one of those things like, I feel like with Irish people, everything they say just sounds kind of kind anyway. And it was, but he was like, yeah, Angelique, the audio, and I can't do the brogue. So I'm not going to even disrespect the brogue like that. But he was like, Angelique, the audio on the last two episodes. And I was like, oh, I know, I know. And I hung my head in shame. Here's the thing. There are all sorts of ways you have to set your mic up and then you set your laptop up to make the mic set up. And you have to do all these tests. And I just, I'm not tech savvy. And so I've done my best. And when there are glitches, I just get very confused and scared. I am the opposite of a sound engineer. However, I spent all of this morning messaging with my podcast hosting service, Squadcast, and watching YouTube clips for how to set up my in-person mic. And I think I have finally fixed it. Now, not for this episode, See, this episode was recorded two weeks ago, and then I sat paralyzed about how to fix the sound for a while before I took a tech tutorial. Actually, I was feeling so paralyzed with fear about trying to troubleshoot this by myself that I had to get on my Peloton bike, and I took this ride with this woman, Robin, who just, oh man, she speaks to my soul, and she was just like pumping me up full of confidence. She's like, yes, you can, like, you know, but like way more poetic than that. Like, it wasn't like the yes, you can chant, which you know, for its time was beautiful, but she was just like, did you come here to be mediocre? And I was like, no, my sound can't be mediocre. So I got off the bike and then figured out how to fix the mic. Okay. So I think it's finally fixed. In this episode, as I mentioned, the audio is not great on my end. 
and bless my sound engineer's heart, he did his best to patch it up. But it's one of those things where if you start with garbage, you can only do so much. It's never going to turn into something delicious and edible, you know, unless you're like a raccoon. But from here on out, things should sound warmer for us. So my apologies for my couple of mishaps. And thank you for bearing with me while I figured it out. I say that earnestly because I become irrationally irate when podcasts that I love have an audio glitch for some reason. And just the sound is bad on one of the speakers or all the speakers. Like it makes me very upset. I'm highly affected like auditorily, if that's a word. My auditory senses are always on full alert and are often perturbed by any type of discrepancy. So I completely understand why it's jarring. Anyway, okay, enough about this. I'm obsessing. Love you. Before we get on to this week's episode, some news. Washington has a privacy law. For years, we've we've sort of made fun of it a little bit for trying so desperately three times to get a privacy law across the finish line and failing. Now it may have done it, and it may not be a health data privacy law, really. Well, I know that we made fun of Washington State for a while as it tried to get a privacy law across the finish line and failed three times, uh, but it seems to have finally done so. Uh, April 17th, Washington passed the My Health, My Data Act, and while health is in the title of the bill, some say that it's not really a health privacy bill. It's actually very comprehensive. Washington's governor is expected to sign it. Um, and the reason that this is such a huge deal, apparently, in terms of its impact is that its definitions are super broad. It's going to capture way more data than we'd normally think of as protected health information. Plus, it has a private right of action, and we know how worked up everyone gets over those. I talked to Mike Hinsey at Hinsey Law about it this week. Uh, don't worry, I didn't leave you out. That podcast episode comes out in just a couple days. And he said it's a total game changer. He calls this law, quote, the most consequential privacy legislation enacted since the CCPA back in 2018, end quote. And that excites me because to be honest, we've been getting all sorts of Virginia-like bills as these dominoes fall. And no one really gets that worked up except for the fact that like, okay, we've got another law, but this one is spicy. I know that probably doesn't make you happy if it's your job to comply with spicy, but from a reporting standpoint, this should be fun couple things about it quickly. Uh, it gives people GDPR-like access and deletion rights. It's enforced by the Washington Attorney General. It's got all sorts of operational nightmares in store, according to Mike Kinsey, regarding its access and deletion rights. It requires consent for days. Um, and Hinsey says it's basically a ban on targeted advertising. Plus, plus, it's supposed to come to into effect just next year, March 31, 2024. For more on what this bill does, check out this week's upcoming podcast on just that. Me and Hinsey will talk about it. Next, Indiana, Montana, Tennessee. Because whatever God we pray to hates us just enough to let us have a Friday afternoon. Recently, and as you likely know by now, Indiana's Senate passed SB5, its privacy law, which as long as the governor signs it, will make it the seventh state to pass a comprehensive privacy law here in the U.S., as Keir Lamont writes in his blog that tracks this stuff, the Patchwork Dispatch, Indiana looks and feels similar to Virginia, if we were, you know, to simplify things. And honestly, all I can really do now is ask which state any new law looks most like, because brain. It's set to go into effect on January 1st, 2026. On April 21st, Montana, a state I'm dying to get to, I've heard it's so nice and there's just like buffalo, 
I don't know. Montana passed its consumer privacy bill, SB 384. It looks most like Connecticut's Data Privacy Act, according to David Stoss at Hush Blackwell. The bill requires universal opt-out mechanisms, which, as Stoss reports, is unusual because it's the first Republican-controlled legislature to do so. It also protects kids between 13 and 15, requiring consent to sell their data or for targeted advertising. That bill goes into effect October 1st, 2024. And the Tennessee Information Protection Act, HB 1181, because I know how upset y'all get when reporters don't include bill numbers, also passed on April 21st. Stoss calls it a more business-friendly version of Virginia. All right, on to today's show. Nazar Dudchak is a law school student at Ukrainian Catholic University. He recently participated in the Helsinki Information Law Moot Court competition. I heard about him because my bestie Gabe Maldoff, who's been on the podcast a couple times before and who's an attorney at Gobin Proctor here in D.C., um, he was a coach for Maine Law, which also had a team uh, at the finals. Um, also, Maine is my home state. Go, Maine. Um, so he had a team that also made it in the finals alongside Nazar's team from the Ukraine. They were arguing a privacy case under European human rights law, obviously a hypothetical case. It's a moot court, people. Um, but as a result of that experience, Nazar is interested in working in privacy in the future. What struck Gabe when he heard Nazar accept the award, by the way, for best orator, was when he described life trying to study for a big privacy case while his country was and is under siege at the hands of Russia. And I, as a journalist, am always interested in the most human of stories. Like I love talking about the nuance of privacy law, and it's very interesting when you get into the weeds of things. But I really love humans, and I try with the podcast to kind of bring in the human element, you know, bring that into the privacy profession. But this is sort of a story that I felt like was built for me because it's just one young man telling his story about learning about privacy and maybe starting a career in privacy, but under circumstances that none of us could ever imagine. And I think for us working professionals, and certainly speaking for myself, we can get so overwhelmed with the day-to-day. This is a crazy field to be in right now, for you and me. Laws are flying around everywhere. Change is constant. It's overwhelming and sometimes exhausting. I see your posts, you know? It's a lot to become an expert on. But stories like Nazar's kind of put life into perspective just a little bit, at least for me. Like, you should hear the things I'm anxious about, and then you should hear his story. So I hope you enjoy hearing him talk, and um, I hope you'll reach out to him if you're interested. He's on LinkedIn. I'm sure it would be nice for him to hear that there's a whole community of privacy pros who'd love to be a sounding board as he pursues his career in privacy moving forward. At least I told him that that's what would happen. Anyway, hope you enjoy this one. Talk soon. Love you. I'm from Ukraine, and I study at Ukrainian Catholic University Law School. I'm a second-year student, and here in Europe, and in Ukraine as well, we have this sort of bachelor system, not an undergrad and then a law school, but you start, you can start, for example, at, at the age of 17, as it was for me, to pursue a legal sort of studies. That's what I did. So I'm currently in the second year of my legal studies, law school. Um, and this year, I was offered to join the UCU Mood Court community, so basically I agreed. I said, yes, it would be an interesting journey. And then there was a question, like there were many competitions you could participate in. And there was like a Tauter's International Public Law. There was like Wismut, International Commercial Arbitration and everything. 
And I was like, okay, what is what is my thing? <laughs> and I knew that I didn't like that much the, those conservative things, like wearing a tie, being like a very, very uh, classic attorney. That's not my thing at all. I'm more into something like startups, tax things. That's more of my thing. I feel much more in my shoes in this. And I was like, okay, I want to try GDPR. That, that, even though I didn't have a previous knowledge, but we formed a team, we had a coach, and she's been so lovely just to meet with us through the whole summer, like even before the competition started, like three months before, and just to um, prepare us, tell us the basics about GDPR, about its principles, because like these competitions, and the one that I participated is Helsinki Information Law Mood Court, like these competitions, they're all about to make students much better at different legal sort of fields. And this one is about like privacy law. Even though this year it was not that much about GDPR, in the end, uh, the jurisdiction was the European Court of Human Rights. And we were really, really surprised <laughs> because we applied GDPR, but still we had to rely a lot on ECTE char uh, practice. So that is how I got into it. And it's been like um, not foreseeable experience at all. But I'm very, very happy that it happened. And I wish that really as much people as possible would go through the journey, like mood courts and especially privacy courts, because that's been that's been like a love for me since now. Absolutely. Amazing. And for folks who may hear uh, a little bit of background noise, uh, it's actually a beautiful kind of background noise uh, in Nazar's part. Uh, Nazar, where are you now? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm a bit sorry for that. That that is um, sort of a church choir. We we're really um, close to each other, even though we're in different buildings. But I did not sort of expect that to be that that loud. So so yeah. So that's okay. So so Nazar is just beneath a choir who is practicing, and uh, you know, choir music in the background of anything makes it better. I think so. If anyone's hearing background noise, just know that that's what it is. Um, so Nazar, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, your background, especially just because, you know, again, you have a unique experience, at least for, for us over here, uh, in the U S in terms of, you know, being from Ukraine, a student from Ukraine and, um, sort of trying to make your way during these unprecedented times. So are you actually living in Ukraine now or you're, you are? Yes, I am. Um, how, how are you? I know that sounds like a very basic question, but, uh, I do just want to say too, that there is, uh, it's very, it's very inspiring around here, at least where I live in Washington, DC. Um, we're very much with you. Like there are Ukrainian flags hanging from all sorts of doorsteps and, uh, you're very, and vigils held and marches and, uh, signs on doors. And so, uh, the people of Ukraine are very much on our mind all the time. We're all trying to keep up with the headlines. Um, but I just did want you to know that we, you know, we support you and we feel for for you all and what you're going through. And I know it's very personal, but um, would you mind sharing with us just a little bit about, you know, how you're doing and, and life in Ukraine? Um, actually, that's a wonderful question. How are you? And thank you so much for, for asking it. I think that's really like to be on the safe side and just to, to make a person feel just okay around it. Um, so yes, I'm on campus um, at my university in Ukraine. Life here is um, is okay. It's returning to normal, even though it's not normal because there are areas alarm and like they're quite constant. Not every day now, thanks God, but still 
many happen. And when our when our finals were, we were like, okay, what happens? What would we do if we're like bleeding through our final game and the air raid alarm starts? What would we do? And we're like, we don't know. We would just see where it goes. <laughs> like we had a plan that, for for example, we would just like interrupt for a second because there is like an announcement from the speakers that like, okay, it's a, it's not that like stressful. It's like, okay, it is an air raid alarm. Please go to the bomb shelter. No one is scared anymore. It's just like it's normal thing, and everyone just like does that, does their stuff. And and so 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 do we. But we cannot do that, like because we're pleading and we have our, our final game. So we're like, okay, we'll just like wait for a second for for the announcement to be over, and then continue pleading. So that was an interesting experience. Yes. Oh my God. So you're out of the area, like you're in an area where you're still getting the air raids sometimes, but you're not under sort of this constant constant threat of you know maybe something very scary will happen. Um, yeah, so I'm located in Lviv, and Lviv is really close sort of to Poland. It's like, um, I don't know how many kilometers, but it's not it's very, very close. So, yes, I'm in sort of safe side of Ukraine, because the eastern you go, the, the closer you are to the front line. But it's still, like, worth mentioning that rockets fly all over Ukraine. And even in Lviv, there are some, some missile attacks and everything. And the hardest thing was actually in October and November, because... Um, when there were massive blackouts due to like constant shellings, um, we didn't have electricity, we didn't have internet connection, and it was just hard to prepare because it's darkness. It's already November. It's getting a little cold. It's dark, and you still need to prepare. So, so yeah, it, it was a challenging experience, and I would like to just give a huge shout out to all of the Ukrainian teams who were participating this year because that's been a huge challenge. And I'm really, really proud of every team that, that made their path because that's, that was really demanding. And I think that um, it is, is really a very, very valuable experience. And I hope, that, um, I hope that everyone's happy with their journey that they had. So, so yeah, um, as for now, um, I know it's getting better and I'm, happy that the moot court season is over <laughs> last responsibility because it was a bit like stressful because sometimes you have some sort of deadlines and you need to do that on time and if you don't have electricity on your internet that's challenging but um happily everything was all right and and yeah we submitted everything on time it must sort of i mean for one thing i just want to say and i, I do want to get into well i i don't i don't I apologize for sort of making you a spokesperson for all the people of Ukraine. Uh, I, I know that's a big responsibility and maybe not fair to you, but I will say you're actually, uh, outside of some Ukrainians that we have living and thriving in D.C., uh, for example, there's a Ukrainian cafe, which I'm very proud to say has had this groundswell of support from people around here just being like, anything we can do to like help support, you know, Ukraine in general, the Ukrainian people, and hopefully by proxy, you know, hopefully by going to this cafe, we're sort of doing anything we can to sort of help, you know, whoever uh, is back home in Ukraine, uh, whether that's supporting with like funds or goodwill or whatever it may be. Um, but I, I think like it's just been really fascinating to me to see how strong the Ukrainian people are. Even when we see your president come on TV and talk, he's going through what has to be the worst time in his life, certainly as a political leader. And, and, but there's so much resilience in his body language and his voice. And 
anytime you hear anyone in the Ukrainian, whether it's someone who's, you know, on the front lines fighting or citizens, there's this absolute steadfast dedication to the Ukrainian people and pride of Ukraine. Um, did that always exist or is that something that becomes inspired in times of war? Um, I believe it's been something throughout the Ukrainian history because like Ukrainians suffered a lot and it's been like because Ukraine was really amid the Second World War and the First World War and occupation regimes like German, uh, Soviet and like until 1991, Ukraine always was sort of divided and not divided, but sort of under control of different sort of big states. And it's making its way since 1991. And even these 30 years, still, there were like a lot of influence from outside, from especially from Russia and revolutions. If you remember Revolution of Dignity, that was a very big thing where like many people um, gave their lives. So people here they they've been fighting for a long time but i think now they are supported as much as never before and that was one of the things that motivated me to participate in the mood court to make ukraine sound in different academic settings because here there is so much that the world can learn from and here are the like i don't know um i studied ukraine catholic university which is a new university which was founded in early 2000s thanks to some Ukrainian, um, okay, Americans whose uh, ancestors were from Ukraine uh, who sort of believe in this big idea of creating a good university. And now, like, truly magnificent things happen here. And when I look to applying uh, science faculties and everything, they're just, they're, wow, that, that's like, that's such an innovative space. And they're do, going to Google, to Facebook, Meta, everywhere. They're just doing their path. And it's like really, really wonderful. But I think this Moodcourt experience also gave me a very, very interesting feeling of supports and I didn't fully understand that before but once we started fundraising which was also a very big part of this sort of uh, mood cycle because um, the offline rounds had to be offline like the final rounds had to be offline in Helsinki and it, our travel budget was around 3,500 euros that was quite a lot for, for us as students um, and most of the teams like in Europe at least they fundraise for, for their uh, sort of travel accommodation everything so that's what we did as well and it took us like less than a week to find the necessary um, amount of money which was just such a such an unexpected thing because usually other teams like it takes months to to achieve this in our case it was like i think even less than a week and we texted 10 companies and six of them offered to cover the whole of our budget and we were just like Oh my gosh, <laughs> that just that's crazy, and and I really want to say a huge thank you for for all the support. It's deeply appreciated in here, and it's an honor to have you standing with us in these dark and challenging times. Because, um, because like life always wins, but it just takes time, and it's really important to have people who will remind you and who will stay strong, and who will stay with you in these in these days. So thank you so much. That's amazing. That's beautiful. And, and I hope, I'm so glad that you're feeling supported. And I hope as you were preparing for this moot core experience with others who are dealing with, you know, air raids and no electricity, I mean, you're trying to study in the dark, uh, you know, were you able to sort of support each other in those times and come together? Or was it kind of just like, 
oh my gosh, I can't hit. I mean, if it were me, I am not a very strong person. Like I would just cry and quit probably. Um, but I can tell even just from chatting with you that um, you're resilient. So were you able to sort of lean on each other through those times? Yes, definitely. And I think the key thing about our team was the support. And, and if I would be asked to describe our team in one word, it would be definitely support. Because I think actually that you would also adjust to, like it's a human nature to, to adjust to different conditions, but I wish you, you, you never have to. Tell me a little bit. I've never experienced moot court. Um, the closest I can come is one time in high school we had to do, uh, I guess it was sort of a moot court, but not at all on this level, certainly not an international competition with the brightest minds. But I remember we had to try some sort of case in court and I signed up to be a litigator. I thought, oh, I was on the prosecution side. I, I thought, oh, I love to talk. I, I could do this. And I thought I prepared. And then I got up there in front of the room and my brain absolutely froze. I could not think on my feet. I still remember the terror. I just could not come up with a coherent. I didn't remember my game plan. It was awful. So tell me a little bit about um, what is the, the moot court experience all about? And also it's an international competition, right? So it's bringing yeah. together all sorts of the brightest minds. Yeah, thank you. It's such a good question, I think. <laughs> yeah, so the mood courts are sort of competitions. They could be either international or local. It depends on the competition because there are, like I think, hundreds of them or even thousands organized each year. Um, so basically, it is a competition created to help students uh, try themselves in different areas of law. For example, this one is about privacy law, but you can always try it different. If you can try many things at once, you could participate in two mood courts at the same time. It would be a very challenging experience, yeah. I guess. But still, yeah. you can understand which one you'll prefer and which one fits your sort of interests better. So that is the thing. And also, <laughs> it is a wonderful experience just to try yourself um, try to live the life that you will live in future choosing this past. Because, for example, in this mood court, um, it depends on mood court, but usually there are two sort of stages. The one is the written submission, and the one is pleadings, as we call them. So in written submission, once you get the case, you analyze it, and you prepare your position for applicant and for the respondent. Sometimes they're also called uh, claimant and applicant and defendant, but still. Uh, the thing is that you prepare a written submission in why you explain that, okay, this side is sort of, we should uh, decide in favor of this side or in favor of this side. You sort of build a line of argumentation for each side. Then once the pleadings come, you have to prepare a short speech. It depends on the rules, but in our case, it was 15 minutes where you have to put all your arguments in a well-structured sort of thing. And persuade everyone listening to you that this side is um is sort of right and the other one is is not so the thing is that it's a wonderful tool to improve your public speaking skills and i think that was the case for me because i'm not even quite shy <laughs> that's been such a like i, I tell you only one came and it was with the main university from the U.S. And that was my only time, like eight months of your life. They are just shortened into 
15 minutes you have and then five minutes for the rebuttal and you have to give everything you had like all the preparation you did you just have to put it in 15 minutes plus five minutes for another round to do a rebuttal and i was like oh <laughs> that's been such an interesting experience and in the end when there was like a closing ceremony and they were announcing the the winners in each category like best team that won best memo best written submission and the best oralist And when they were announcing Bass Orwis, they named me, and I, that was unexpected. And I was just so, so happy. Uh, I think I got almost crying. And Wow, congratulations. Yeah. There's so much work into it, and especially under the conditions that we've mentioned that you're studying for it, where other folks who were competing alongside you didn't have those same air raids and blackouts to deal with. So that is, uh, that is quite an accomplishment. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks. How many teams actually competed at the competition? We do not know. We only know how many teams got into finals. And in the finals, there were four teams, two teams from Turkey, one team from the U.S., and us from, from Ukraine. Whether I will participate next year, to be honest, I do not know. I think yes, because I really love this year's experience. But we'll see where it goes. Maybe in a different competition, because this one seems like an already like past story, like sort of the thing that you already tried and did and you got the maximum out of this experience. But I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Maybe in a completely different area, but I deeply doubt it because I, I found myself really interested in privacy. Uh, well, I want to say, Nazar, thank you so much for, for joining me. It's also late at night. It's late on a Friday in Ukraine now. Um, And, uh, and just thank you for making time for, for me and for us and for telling us a little bit of your story. Uh, we are all thinking of you and, um, everyone in Ukraine and sending our heart and our love to you and our support. And, um, and that's ongoing and we continue to watch, uh, and wait for the day that you can have your peace back and declare victory. Um, and if there's anything that any of us in the privacy community can ever do, Uh, please feel free to, you know, let me know and I'll pass along the word because uh, there's a whole bunch of people over here that would be waiting with open arms to to help in any way possible. Oh, thank you at first for, for having me and for giving a space, a platform to talk about it and just to remind about Ukraine once again, like on, on the background of my story sort of. And I just want to say a huge thank you for everyone supporting. That's deeply, deeply important and deeply appreciated here from this side and it's felt so much and and it's as i said earlier it is an honor to have you all standing with us because these days are dark and challenging even though there are not the 100 blackouts anymore thanks god but it's still many things going and the situation is still hard so please keep supporting ukraine and i thank you so much for doing that thank you